Alright, hey friends, so we had a bit of a tech issue on Sunday and didn't get uh, our message recorded. So I'm just sitting down here alone in my office uh, to share a few of these thoughts for those of you who weren't around so that you can just keep tracking with us as we follow Jesus through Advent here at LifePath. And uh, and so this will have a little bit of a different feel, probably more of a podcast kind of style, uh, even though I'm going to kind of share some of the similar similar thoughts uh, as we talked about yesterday as a as a churchwide community you just won't get the benefit of kind of that experience but you'll get better sound so here we go uh, the last couple weeks in advent we've started this conversation about exploring what it means that Jesus leads us to a third way and that third way is often surprising and different than the way that the world functions or even the way that we personally, uh, assume things are or things should be. And so there's beauty in looking at the Christmas story and looking at the incarnation of Jesus and saying, what assumptions might we be making that this story blows out of the water? And uh, and and what do we need to, uh, to maybe change about how we think about God or how we respond to Jesus uh, that lines up with the ways that Jesus continues to challenge our assumptions? So we just kind of talked about Jesus as being one who challenges assumptions all the time and what it means to be open to that. Uh, last week, we kind of kicked the ball uh, down the street with uh, Dwayne sharing a little bit about uh, how we often have turned salvation into a duality where it's either all about the soul or uh, it's all about kind of uh, social transformation and rescue. And so the idea there was that the vision of God that we see, and we saw it in Zechariah's song as he talked about how uh, one was coming who would save God's people from their sin, but also rescue them from their enemies. There is a soul and a society element to what God longs to do, and that is summed up in the word shalom, wholeness, that God's desire is to bring shalom, wholeness in every single way, rightness in soul, spirit, world, systems, society, relationships. Really, really beautiful. Uh, imagery. So this week, this week, we're talking about a third way in a different direction. And the third way that the gospel gives us beyond certainty or ambiguity. Uh, We kind of have this need to know basis with God, I think, sometimes. And so we want to talk about certainty and go back to this Zechariah story. So what Dwayne didn't talk about last week Uh, was kind of how Zechariah got into this uh, experience where he was about to not be able to speak at all uh, for the entirety of his wife's pregnancy with John the Baptist. And so we aren't going to like dive into all of the cultural elements of it, but I do want to tell you a little bit about uh, the story and uh, why his response is relevant to us today. So here we go. In Luke 1, we're, we're told this. Zechariah is a priest, okay? That's, that's the, uh, the, the foundational understanding that you need to have. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, this is Luke 1, 8, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, so what happens is that every so often, the priests would go into an area that was banned uh, at any other time except for, for priestly duties at a very specific time in order to burn incense to God, to offer a sacrifice, to ask for forgiveness, all of these, these different duties. And it was a really big deal. 
In fact, if you went into this area, you were punished severely at certain times in history, even by death. Um, and, uh, and so others would pray uh, outside. Others in the priesthood would pray that uh, God would be satisfied maybe with the, uh, the sacrifice and the incense, um, that God would answer the prayers of his people, that kind of thing. So this is what's going on in Zechariah's The Guy. Um, and, uh, and Zechariah had never had children because um, his wife was barren, okay? And so Elizabeth was unable to have children. They were both older at this point. And so, so all of this is happening, um, and there's this setup, and he's going into this place where the, where the presence of God is supposed to be, all right? And lo and behold, something happens with the presence of God. So in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear, because this is what happens in every angelic encounter in the scriptures. It's terrifying. So the first thing every angel says when they encounter, or every representative of God says when they encounter a, a person is, hey, whew, don't be afraid, relax. Because usually the message that's being brought is, uh, is a hopeful one. And so anyways, that's what's happening here. So uh, he's startled, he's terrified, but the angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to have wine or take any other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. So he's going to be this powerful figure. This is John the Baptist that, that we're talking about, obviously. To turn the hearts, this is really cool, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So I have to tell you, so this whole message, just think about it in the greater context, both personally for Zechariah, an incredible answer to prayer. The angel is showing up because Zechariah and Elizabeth have been longing for this, and God has heard their cry and wants to offer this good news to them. But also for all of the people of Israel, they've been longing for this, for a Messiah. And there's a message here in the midst of silence for many, many years at this point that God has heard them. So it's this amazing moment, exactly what they want to happen in a place like the temple while you're offering um, a sacrifice, everything like this. It's all perfect. The news is great. And what is Zechariah's response? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? So in the midst of one of the greatest enunciations ever given, Zechariah's response is, yeah, but can you offer me a little more proof? Which I think is interesting because most of us would like die to have that kind of proof that's already been given, right? God showing up, God speaking directly to someone's situation, God offering a miraculous hope, everything like that. And so, so most of us would say, oh my goodness, I would like be set for life in my faith if I had an experience like that. But the real question is, um, is would we? I just want us to think about this, this question, how can I be sure of this? Because I think as humans, we are hardwired to constantly need more and more certainty. And, and so even in our, our faith, uh, you know, on, on the one side, we're conditioned to think that certainty is the end goal, right? What does it mean when, when people sometimes say that others have a strong faith? Uh, often that means 
I have absolute certainty, right? They, they don't, they don't kind of wiggle with God. <laughs> they, they know exactly what they believe. They, they have great scripture knowledge, everything like that. But here's the problem with, with uh, linking that or equating that with strong faith. You can be certain about a lot of things and still not look like Jesus at all. You can have a really, really strong belief system like the Pharisees did and yet not reflect God's character, not be walking with Jesus. So, so on, on one side, the idea that certainty equals uh, healthy faith is, is problematic. But on the other side, sometimes we assume that if we don't have things figured out, then we can't move forward with Jesus at all. So we're in this kind of this waiting game, right? Our faith isn't legitimate if we have big questions or if we walk in some tension or we have unresolved doubts, right? If we're not exactly sure what prayer does or how the atonement exactly works or what God's stance is on X, Y, and Z or what to do with things like natural disasters and the hell of cancer and poverty, then maybe our faith isn't legitimate, right? Because I got some questions. So, So maybe I can't really do the Christian thing until I get it all together. So in this understanding, certainty equals strength, and ambiguity and mystery equals weakness and risk. And I think that Jesus wants to dismantle that kind of a framework. But it's not just in faith, right? How can I be certain is a sticking point in so many areas of our lives. And we've got to ask why that is the case. Why certainty is something that we, we chase so much. What's the deepest undercurrents in the spirit that pushes us to constantly say, how can I be sure? And I think it's about control. If we sit there for a little bit, we want to always feel like we are in control. Consider how we often talk these days about the choices to get married. We wait till, we, people say that they want to wait until they have um, enough financial security to make sure that they're ready for marriage or they're not going to have kids until they make sure that their job is secure enough or that they have uh, purchased a house or whatever, whatever these things might be. Once I have my life in order, eventually, when I have certainty, then I can be sure of the outcome. And every single parent probably feels like that before we start. And every single parent knows that it's complete bull on the other side. You cannot be certain of anything. You can only do your best and walk forward with some amount of faith. And that's what Jesus invites us into, a different way altogether. It's not about certainty on one side, requiring proof for everything to be okay. And it's not about blind allegiance either on the other side. It's about active trust. If you look, uh, you can see that God, throughout the course of our, our biblical history, uh, God is willing to work with the human need for certainty. God, he, he understands that that's something that, that is a part of us that drives us. But he still invites us to something deeper and to a more beautiful space in order to achieve real peace. And this has been a challenge for the length of our entire faith heritage. Look at Adam and Eve uh, in the Genesis story, right? Um, God is saying when, when he says, listen... The only rule that you need to follow is not to, to pull the fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the reason 
that God says that is not because he doesn't want people to know things. It's because the temptation is to try to figure everything out independently from a trusting relationship with God. And he says, if you pursue that, it's not going to work well. And as an aside, we actually tend to do this with all sorts of things in our religious circles. We even do it with the Bible. We, we take a look at the scriptures and we sometimes can be tempted to think that if I just learn them well enough, then that's all I need. And it can actually happen completely apart from God, completely separate from a, a trusting relationship with the Spirit. We don't need the Holy Spirit at all if we have the Bible and then we get all of our answers taken care of. And so we can actually use the Bible almost in the same way um, as, uh, as this forbidden fruit and say, I want to figure things out separate so I don't actually have to trust you, God. And it's happened. This is why we have to always have eyes and ears open to the Spirit's movement as we look to things like the Scriptures, as we pray to Jesus. But anyways, it, it continues on. I mean, Adam had this, or Abraham had this need for certainty even after God had come to him multiple times and made the promises. So Adam says, how can I have proof? And then finally God says, okay, I will create a physical covenant with you, which he does in, I think it's Genesis uh, 15. And so we see God being willing to work with them. Thomas has a need for certainty. It's really fascinating. In the post-resurrected Jesus era, Thomas misses when Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples. And so what Thomas does is when he hears about it, even though these are reliable witnesses, he can't accept it. And so, so Thomas ends up saying, unless I see Jesus, see the scars, uh, touch him, I, I can't possibly believe. And so he requires proof. He requires certainty. And Jesus actually gives it to him. Jesus shows up and gives him the proof that Thomas needs. However, right after that, Jesus says, okay, you've seen me, you've touched me, you, you believe. And then Jesus gives a special blessing on all the ones who wouldn't have certainty, who would follow behind him and still believe. He said, blessed are all those who don't see and yet believe. And so Jesus understands that the walk of faith does not always involve certainty. In fact, he says a special blessing on those of us who have to figure out that way. And so if, um, if we continue in this path, um, we, we can maybe misunderstand and, and start to think that knowledge is, uh, is a, a negative thing. And by no means is that what we're talking about. We're not talking about critical thinking or asking good questions or pursuing complexity or, or even having convictions and views and interpretations as being negative. Our minds are incredibly valuable, and we should not pursue an anti-intellectual faith. Uh, but if we're not careful, we, we become uh, hooked on having this huge statement of ab absolute beliefs, and that ends up becoming what we think will bring us peace, and it won't. And the reason it won't is because ultimately our drive for certainty leads us away from active trust, if that's our priority. You can't see me kind of scribbling here, but, but just imagine uh, an arrow going up and to the right as our certainty goes up. What ends up happening is our opportunity and our ability for active trust goes from the upper left down, right? So, so as, as our, our need for certainty grows, our opportunity for trust diminishes. This is why it's important for us to understand a passage like uh, Proverbs 3, 5 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, the idea of, of trusting 
in the Lord with all your heart. The heart is kind of the seat of everything, not just your emotions, but your very being in Hebrew understanding. But the idea is um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It doesn't suggest that your understanding is evil. It doesn't suggest that your understanding is bad. But think about the imagery. If we if we update it a little bit in, in light of our Christian faith, right? The imagery here is saying that there's a difference between putting your weight on all your thoughts about Jesus or leaning on Jesus himself, right? We're, we're not splitting hairs here. This is a really, really big deal. There's a difference between putting our emphasis on Jesus versus putting our emphasis on all of our beliefs surrounding Jesus, Biblically speaking, these are two different things. A lot of this has to do with the words that we use and the assumptions that we make. So let's talk just for a moment about how we understand belief and how we talk about belief. Think of the words that we use when we, when we think about belief. It's a what word most of the time, right? What do you believe? You believe that? I don't believe that, right? We have statements of beliefs. We believe Jesus is God's son, right? Not just a guy. We believe God is the creator and the life giver not just random and by chance, right? But our belief is really about thinking the correct thoughts primarily. However, in the scriptures, the emphasis of belief is really different than that. Belief is not a what word nearly as much as it is a who word. So the Greek word for belief is pistuo, uh, which means to put your confidence in something. Active trust Okay, it's not intellectual, it's not about the mind, not, not in, the, not in the, the Greek and Hebrew understandings of the word. It's all relational. To believe is to say, I trust you, right? Jesus says, but you believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying, trust me, walk with me here, trust me. The, now, these ways of believing aren't completely separate by any means, but the emphasis is really crucial. The confidence that the scriptures point us to have is a confidence in Jesus and God's goodness, not your correct views of Jesus. Because as soon as you go in the direction of having confidence in all the things about God, your focus begins to shift off the center and you become preoccupied with all of the externals. And according to Jesus, you'll miss him, even if you are super religious. I might say, especially if you're super religious. What we're talking about here is something called Uh, centered set thinking versus bounded set thinking. Uh, We at at LifePath, we are a centered set church. What that means is uh, different than what we might call a bounded set church. Let me start with bounded. When there's a bounded set church, I want you to just imagine um, a church that has a big circle, okay? And in in the middle is is Jesus, but, but the circle is a very dark line. And that circle around it represents all of the things that you have to believe correctly in order to be included, in order to be in with God, maybe in order to be accepted by other people within the community. And so that line is all of the different beliefs about God that are, that are allowed or, or all the different lines that you have to cross in order to be good with Jesus. And so you locate people either inside that circle or outside that circle with little X's. That's bounded set thinking. And what happens in the midst of bounded set thinking is we can't help but constantly try to define what the line is and therefore monitor who gets to be in and who gets to be out. So the focus becomes on this dogmatic certainty because we want to make sure that we're in. And we constantly seek to win fights and we constantly seek to win debates. And often we assume that our views are always the obvious 
and the logical. Our interpretations of the scriptures are always the obvious and the most logical. Now, if we compare that to what we might call a centered set, a centered set has Jesus at the center, but instead of a dark line around it, it's a dotted line. And the goal is not the boundary. The goal is Jesus at the middle. And so instead of us being little X's around this image, what we are is we are arrows. And the question that the scriptures ask is what direction are our arrows pointing? Where is our trajectory? Is it moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus? Because the goal is to be focused in on moving toward Jesus. And if that's the case, then someone can be in who is very far away because they're moving toward Jesus and that's all he invites us to do. That's why Jesus says things like tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners are entering the kingdom in front of you Pharisees. Because the Pharisees may have been very close and had all of the correct beliefs within a bounded set, but they actually were not centered on Jesus. So when we live as people centered on Jesus and as a community centered on Jesus, the, the posture that we hold changes. The type of movement that we want changes. The, the priority and where our mind and our mental energy goes to is moved toward Jesus and not toward defining the lines constantly. And so the end result is humility, freedom, an invitation for others to come toward Jesus, and relationship. So this third way of Jesus that we're talking about, it's not airtight knowledge on one side, and it's not blind agnosticism or cynical ambiguity on the other side. It's an ongoing, trusting relationship with Jesus at the center. So there's your big idea. An ongoing, trusting relationship with Jesus at the center. That's the third way of certainty or uncertainty with God. It sounds so simple, um that you don't need to have everything worked out. You just need to honestly and authentically move toward Jesus. And it is simple. It's just not easy. That's the point. But think about this ongoing relationship. You know, Isaiah says, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's relationship. John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's relationship, right? Mark says he called the disciples so that they might be with him. That's relationship. In Matthew, at the end of the book, Jesus says, And truly I tell you, I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. That's relationship. I will be with you. In John again, I no longer call you servants but friends. That's relationship. It's all over the place. We are still invited to pursue answers to our questions and to gain knowledge, but it takes on a different texture. Rather than needing proof before we can trust, we might say it's embracing curiosity as we trust. And that's why we want to go back to the Zechariah story for a moment, or at least that section in Luke, and contrast his response of saying, how can I be certain with Mary's response to a similar annunciation? Mary also has a question, as we see um, in the story. And so Mary's question, uh, let's take a look at it because um, we're, the angel comes to Mary and says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. This is in Luke 1.31. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There's all this messianic imagery here. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? 
Now, we might say, is Mary demanding proof just like Zechariah was? But apparently not. Number one, because she doesn't get muted, and we have no reason to believe that she couldn't have been if she also responded by saying, I can't possibly trust this. But, but after there is an explanation given, Mary responds by this, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. So what we see when we put this whole picture together is a question of saying, I'm curious, how will this happen from Mary? And I want to trust you as even I am curious. But Zechariah says, I need even more proof before I can go forward. And there's such a difference here. There's such a difference. Um, it's it's a whole a whole different kind of texture. There's no fear. There's no preoccupation with proof in Mary's voice. With Zechariah, we, we get this need for certainty about how everything works, but Mary suggests a certainty that allows her to actually get, or a curiosity that allows her to actually get to know God better. So, so there's, there's beauty here when we think about a holy curiosity that we are invited to pursue knowledge with, but that knowledge leads us to knowing God better being even more open to the ways, the surprising ways of God and not needing to rely completely on having certainty before we can move forward. So let's turn the corner here for just a a bit as we get ready to kind of close up in a moment. This whole thing, it's not just about how freeing and beautiful it is to be able to walk in a trusting way with Jesus. Um, It's about the flip side too. When we emphasize figuring everything out, when the need for certainty is what guides our faith, it has the potential to really hurt us and hurt others. Thinking that you know exactly what God thinks about everything and exactly how God acts and exactly what the Bible says about everything will not lead you to loving better. The risk is that it'll lead you to arrogance. It'll lead you to isolation. It'll lead you to confirmation bias. It'll lead you to self-sufficiency in areas where you actually need to learn vulnerability. So this is all antithetical to the calling of Jesus. Jesus says, come and walk with me, right? It's about trust. Those who trust me, those who believe me, those who believe in me will experience life. That's not about an intellectual idea. It's about an ongoing relationship. And the beauty of all of this is that I can choose to trust God with childlike trust, regardless of if I am very certain about my beliefs or if I am very uncertain and have a lot of huge questions. The opportunity to trust is equally available to all of us. There's one more important one another uh, component to all of this as well. And this is, so so compartmentalism, it just doesn't work. We like to think um, that we can keep certain views, uh, you know, in our life separate from each other and not have them impact, but, but we are really, really um, integrated beings even if we don't want to be sometimes. And here's what I mean by that. If you think you can figure out God with certainty, if there's something in you that believes that you can actually get all the answers about God, then somewhere deep down, you're going to do the same thing to people. You're going to decide that you have others figured out. And when you have others figured out, you no longer really need space to learn or be curious about them. You'll have decided if they are useful to you or not, if you can learn anything from them or not, if they are good or if they are bad, and then you will put them in that box. Like the Danish theologian and philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard said, once you label me, you negate me. We need to be very careful about negating others. 
when we assume that there's always more to the story than we see, and that our labels will actually always fall short with God and with people, when we stay curious like that, it opens us up to humility and a new life. And it shouldn't scare us, because our, our faith quite simply is not about figuring it all out. It's about walking toward Jesus in love and in trust. I'm going to end our uh, little reflection here with um, a true story from 1975. And uh, in 1975, the Jesuit philosopher John Cavanaugh, he went to work for three months at the Home for the Dying in Calcutta, India with uh, Mother Teresa. This is where she spent her life. And he was searching for answers to uh, some of his spiritual struggles. And on the first morning there, and this, like I said, this is a true story that he wrote about. Um, on the first morning there, he met Mother Teresa. What can I do for you? She asked him, and Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. She asked a question. She says, what do you want me to pray for? And he answered with what I think most of us would agree is a really reasonable, humble response. And in fact, it was the primary reason he had even traveled thousands of miles to India in the first place. And so he said, will you pray that I have clarity? No. I will not do that, she said. <laughs> Kavanaugh asked her, why? Why won't you pray for clarity for me? And Mother Teresa said, clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to and you must let go of. And he responded, but you always seem to have clarity. Mother Teresa laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. If you're dealing with a loss of clarity today, uh, can I offer the same encouragement to you this morning? I will pray for trust. And if you are hung up on pursuing clarity as if your understanding is what will finally make your faith okay, can I invite you to step into the good news that simply is that God is for you and Jesus still died to redeem you and everything on this earth, whether or not you have it all figured out and you're allowed to rest with Jesus even in the midst of your tensions. Jesus is inviting you to turn toward him and your complexities and your big questions, they aren't a barrier to that. Knowledge is puny compared to love. Jesus has removed all the religious barriers, all the things that make you feel like you need to have things figured out, and he wants to challenge you if your faith is more about a bunch of ideas and less about active trust. He's good and loving and invites you to rest in that trust. You're going to be all right. So maybe it's time for some fresh surrender. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, for all of us who are on this journey of trust, who are trying to figure out what it looks like to both know you and not get hung up on trying to figure out things so much that we miss your actual presence. We pray for your grace. Lord, set us free from the requirement for constant proof in order to be able to keep walking as disciples of you, and also set us free from the paralyzing fear of doubt or uncertainty that we think disqualifies us from being able to walk with you. Simply, Lord, just give us active trust. Amen. I'll give one final encouragement that the word amen 
comes from the Hebrew word haman. It's where we get amen. And, uh, and that is literally the word for trust and belief. So instead of amen being, okay, now we're done, amen actually means, okay, we've released these words to you, and now from here on out, we trust, we believe. <laughs> or, or maybe now we just shut up and we trust you. All right, friends, have a good week. Be encouraged, and next week we will dive back into our series on Jesus' third way, challenging the world's assumptions, and we're going to talk about power. All right. Peace, friends.